So in this uh, new episode of uh, Simulated Reality, the podcast by Analytics India Magazine, we have a special guest, Pankaj Rai. He is uh, the Senior Vice President of Strategy of uh, one of the biggest investment banks in the world, Wells Fargo. Uh, but I look at him like uh, you know a visionary philosopher, uh, and I got to know him first uh, when I watched his uh, talk at Cipher 2019. For those who don't know Cipher, it's the flagship event of Analytics India Magazine, and his topic, you know, was uh, how much will I pay for AI? And uh, there he presented his very unique vision for the future of AI, for how you know analytics and AI is going to evolve, and so. We would, uh, you know, introduce him here. And uh, Pankaj, please tell us about yourself. You know, uh, you are obviously uh, senior vice president of strategy at Wells Fargo. What What does it entail when you say that? First of all, let me say this uh, topic: simulated reality is very intriguing and interesting. Yeah. So happy to be here. Um, yeah, so the strategy role for me is really about uh, determining. what the future of our company is which is what any strategy role should be uh, in this context uh, the company has a lot of uh, what we traditionally call uh, back office operation which is technology work operations call centers data analytics and all of that uh, the intent is how do we do a lot more value adding work here which creates business transformation mm. versus just you know the usual cost arbitrage that is the easy part So the intent is to uh, convince people both here and uh, overseas for them to believe uh, that the centers which are offshore uh, can create a much bigger transformational impact on the company versus you know just save money for the company. So that's the whole role. Okay, but uh, you have been in the finance industry and uh, you know in the finance interest industry you know to reduce risk, people diversify into different assets, uh, and you have also kind of diversified you know into different kind of uh, work like you're you've been a speaker. uh you've presented yourself as a philosopher as a visionary uh what do you think why why have you chosen this path and uh, you know what do you think you're trying to achieve here yeah i think it's always very hard to describe sometime your own journey or at least it's definitely hard for me there are a lot of people who have a very uh, you know uh, long term view about what they want to be and what they want to do and so on and so forth uh, somehow um, i was never able to comprehend what i ever wanted to be so i would dread the question in the interviews uh, when i was young when they would say how do you see yourself 5 years from now and 10 years from now and i said i don't know because i wasn't seeing myself 5 10 years from now i was just seeing myself uh, you know where i was uh, so i think uh, driven by that uh, fitrat of mine mm-hmm. i think uh, a lot of decisions that got taken were sort of um, um, not based on a very long term view but directionally what was interesting to me uh, so to give you a few examples my first job was in a small niche consulting company uh, and after a while um, i realized that uh, you know i was telling a lot of folks what to do which is what consulting is all about but i myself had uh, no experience of doing any of those things and i was feeling a bit odd that you know i'm advising without really knowing Uh, and at that point in time uh, a friend of mine who was working in a um, financial institution the icici uh, said that you know uh, there might be an opening over here and i got interviewed and uh, they said uh, you know you you you're hired so so i think that's how that job change happened um, and later on from icici i went to g capital uh, that was more interesting because that was the time i just got married and icici didn't used to pay well Uh, so the theme in the company itself used to be that at some stage you have to stop learning and start earning uh, now uh, that led to the, that next job change where the salary increased because one joined a multinational although i have to say i didn't stop learning hmm. uh, i did start earning a bit more uh, although when in hindsight you look at the earning part uh, people who stayed back in icici which eventually turned into a bank got a lot of shares are uh, 50 times more wealthy than i am mm. uh, but uh, but like i said most of those decisions and even after that uh, most of the decisions were directionally that there was something which was uh, calling and there was some uh, you know saturation that was already happening mm. and there was some friend who said uh, looks like this might be good for you yeah. so it has always been uh, in some ways very uh, you know in the moment decision that directionally yeah. this looks right um but when you look back it was from consulting to traditional corporate finance into g which was underwriting which led me to six sigma then i got into offshoring with standard chartered 
somehow i felt i was a banking guy till dell happened when uh, you know i became a technology person and within that uh, analytics came along and i yeah. somehow became the analytics person and now i'm a strategy guy uh, so what next i don't know um, things have just happened and i have yeah. felt good about it and never regretted any of these decisions yeah uh so you mentioned that there was like a lot of gut feeling a lot of intuition and then you've all, all also been involved in analytics you know uh when we talk about analytics and how do we like how how can businesses balance you know the intuition versus data part is it all uh, going to be based on data or uh, do you think the, there is tremendous value in human intuition i think you know it will um, uh, depend on individuals mm. there are a lot of um, individuals who take risk and they have a good intuition and gut feel and that's good for them yeah there are some others who need a lot of data for them to believe and yeah. get convinced and so on and so forth so to me the data analytics is a means to an end essentially the end is really uh, giving you the confidence that you are doing the right thing and like i said different people get confidence in different ways yeah um, so i don't necessarily think uh, it is the be all and end all if you are someone who believes uh, you know you have a good gut and you can trust it and you are confident without any data that's fine if yeah. you are the one who lo- likes lots of data that's fine as well so i don't necessarily think uh, it is one or the other it is the individual who determines what relevance that uh, data mm. and analytics plays in their decision making because it is a decision support system end of the day yeah but then uh, there is like this abundance of data right companies are just collecting data at such a high rate and then we have so much of data right now then how do how can they derive the right insights from it if it's also intuition which which is also important so <laughs> long ago um, when i moved from uh, ge into other places i was very uh, you know uh, obsessed and um, happy with a six sigma role that i had done and i used yeah. to look at everything as a process mm. and i would say it's all about process improvement mm. um, it also had a methodology called dmake yeah. define manage, measure analyze improve control and i would say that end of the day this analyzes the analytics which is there to uh, improve the process so the end of the day the idea of analytics was not in itself anything but mm. helping someone become better become you know improved and all of that and at that point in time i made this comment uh, to someone who was talking about exactly the same way you said i said i believe in uh, lean analytics and okay. lean is a concept actually which is used in uh, six sigma and process and so on okay. where the idea is to really do the least uh, you know the the most essential stuff and you don't have to you know basically lean as as the word means so the when i meant lean analytics my thing was think about what is the problem that you are trying to solve hmm. then look at what is the decision model then what does the data requirement of that model and if that calculation or that data can be done by vedic maths or the calculator please go ahead and do it don't <laughs> deploy a sql code or hmm. a machine learning model uh, but if you think it's going to help you please do that so to me the outcome should pull the relevant data or the analysis needed uh, but many a times uh, you know i have seen that people are using a sledge hammer where a smaller hammer might have been good enough so now that is also a propensity of different individuals some people like more over engineered uh, german machines and some others are quite happy with the chinese machines so like yeah. i said uh, there is no right answer uh, different individuals will choose different things and if they can pay for it uh, good luck to them yeah uh but if we talk about the you know finance world you know the investment world there's like so much chaos happening all the time but then there are patterns which are repeatable which repeat uh, you know where they are very cyclical uh so as uh, you know uh, svp strategy at wells fargo what role does data play in you know capturing those patterns well as well as well as also preparing for chaos so i think uh, uh, you know as a strategy person when you are trying to uh, create a future or mm-hmm. imagine the future um i think there is some amount of historical things that you have to see but many a time in today's day and age um, i firmly believe that there's learnings in the past hmm. but the past is not a good predictor of the future yeah and the reason i say that and more so today than ever before that uh, i have this firm belief that uh, the world used to be quite linear in the past okay which is where you know six sigma survived where toyota came along and said you know uh, we have this culture where the workers get up in a morning meeting every day Uh, they come up with great ideas they improve the factory shop floor so we become slightly better today than we were yesterday hmm. so this continuous improvement on a daily basis was a culture that toyota you know pioneered and ford and general motors did not hmm. they were in that old model of you know we can give you any car that you like as long as it is black so they were obviously ossified and did not move along 
So someone who was moving slowly, like a tortoise perhaps, was able to beat the hell out of everyone else because they were standing still. So in a linear world, slightly some amount of movement on a periodic basis was quite good enough. You can mm. run faster than the next guy because the road was paved and you knew where you were running. Sure. I think with the coming of the technology giants and the platforms and specifically Amazon, it's proving that the, there is no road. They are creating new highways where none existed. So if the road is very non-linear, I don't think we can plan to use past data to predict the future. We have to sometimes imagine a new future and that imagination can have some relevance from learning of the past but many of it has to be your own intuition and your own creativity and mm. things of that nature. Uh, if you are a bit of a laggard in something, there may be some people ahead of you, you can learn from them but I believe there's more, more and more room needed for creativity than just using some linear models which are you know, predicting the future uh, in today's sure. day and age. But then uh, you're saying that it, it has... Uh it has not remained linear anymore. So what has changed specifically according to you? Is it the technology or is it also something about the way globalization has, uh, you know, uh, unfolded in the, in the past few decades? What is it that you think that things have become so chaotic, yeah. although there has been, you know, a yeah. lot of innovation that has also happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, in my mind it is the technology and these platforms which are allowing a lot of new things to happen which were uh, not possible before. Mm. So in a physical world there was only so much you could do mm. but this digital world is quite uh, you know enormous and uh, you know you can do so many things which were not possible before mm. so to me the single most factor for this non-linear uh, or creativity desiring world is really the advent of technology which mm. is allowing us to experiment and you know go haywire and trying so many things so to me actually i would call it uh, liberating and not chaotic because you have so many opportunities mm. and you can create so many things yeah. that was not possible before. Now you can imagine a self-driving car and create one. You can imagine a 3D machine and you can create one and you can do it. So to me, uh, if you are able to create a future, it's liberating. Mm. But if you are hit by an unexpected future, then it is chaotic. Yeah. So I would say we should uh, learn to become the former. Um, I think in the past, I think we have been programmed to not change very fast. And we are unable to comprehend so many changes and yeah. therefore it appears chaotic. But if we can, within that chaos, um, try and find our meaning and our future, I think it can be quite liberating and you know quite good for the world versus how sure. it is sometimes appearing to a lot of people. Yeah, but then with so many variables, you know, how do uh, people and organizations, businesses, you know, take the right decisions? Uh, what could be the way there? Because there's so much to process, you know? Yeah. So I think uh, there my view is that uh, all of us as human beings have evolved in a scarcity-oriented uh, world where there were very few uh, choices, you know. Um, I mean, when I was growing up, uh, when look at um, uh, Lambretta and Vespa, mm. Fiat and Ambassador, Colgate and Forehands, Engineer and Doctor. They were usually binary choices. Mm. One of them you didn't like. For example, I didn't like medicine. Or one of them I did not get. There yeah. was a long waiting list for Fiat. <laughs> So the other one came along and you were pretty happy because, you know, that is what it was and yeah. there wasn't a third choice available yeah. and life was quite simple and good. Uh, so today, I think there are so many choices and so many variables on which you can have choices mm. that I think uh, we are now dealing in an abundance era. Okay. So moving from that, um, um, I would say the scarcity era, which I think was most of uh, human life, mm. to suddenly an era of abundance, whether you take food, uh, whether you take information, whether you take any number of choices about anything, we are in an era of abundance, at least for a large majority of people. There are still people who are living in scarcity, but many, many more people are now dealing in abundance. But I don't think our human mind or our nature uh, knows how to deal with the, uh, abundance. Uh, we are still programmed to deal with scarcity. Yeah. So when you see a lot of food, you go eat it up. Yeah. So that leads to obesity. Yes. Uh, when you see a lot of choices, you try to do all of those things. You do binge watching of entertainment. You try to do this choice and then you do that. Mm. And then you suffer from mental illness yeah. because each of those choices did not necessarily give you satisfaction yes. and happiness. So I think um, all of us should realize that uh, there is so much choice and we don't have to do it just because it's there. Uh, you need to figure out what is relevant for us. So for example, I myself, when I go to a buffet, I don't go there. I sit there and yeah. tell someone... Can you get me curd rice, please? 
because I think at that point in time I just need that. Yeah. I don't need to go there and get excited by a lot of other things and get uh, you know stomach upset. And similarly, uh, when I go to WhatsApp and you know uh, I am part of several WhatsApp groups, I consume some of it, whatever I feel like. Yeah. And I have no idea what is happening in them. And then someone, in fact, just before this call, someone called me. Oh, um, you opened a Pandora's box in that other WhatsApp group. I said which one? He said X Y Z. I said okay. Uh, maybe when I look at it again tonight or tomorrow, if at all, then yeah. I will probably have a look at it. But if not, so be it. So do you know what the that box of Pandora? Yeah, yeah no, there was some topic. I mean, and then these things happen all the time. So there yeah. is this uh, intense desire for a lot of people to know everything that is happening everywhere because it's there. Hmm. I have no such desire at all because it's the same thing that I have this time. I am coming here for a talk with you. Hmm. I don't want to waste my time on something because there is no end to it. I mean, these are all like black holes. You can be there and just live that life of uh, the digital nomad. Hmm. So I have, uh, you know, uh, some rationing on my WhatsApp time and digital time, and uh, that only allows me to do X. Uh, whether uh, you know that is good or bad is uh, up to me. So I think people have to figure out what makes sense to them. I have several friends. I think who are probably sitting on WhatsApp. <laughs> Up all the time, and maybe all power to them if that's what they enjoy doing. I don't. So you think you're saying that dodging so many things at once, you know, it kind of uh, reduces efficiency, and you should be, more, you know, focus more on the processes that are important that leads to your goals or the priorities or the filters that you have, right? I've also seen a lot of people who can uh, parallel process mm. and do a lot of things. There are many people who I know they are five, ten times more efficient than me. Mm. So I think you don't know, uh, you know, what works for you. So I would say as long as everyone, every individual mm. uh, determines what works for them. I mean, the way I look at uh, what works for you is to say, end of the day, you should feel happy about doing what you're doing. Yeah. You should not have stress. You should not have obesity. You should be in good health. So I would say that if you are in good physical and mental health, maybe if you are binge eating and binge watching is fine. If, if that, maybe that's how you are. For me, I realize that some of those things just don't work. So I have figured out my own, uh, you know, approach to what I need to consume, when and how. Mm. Uh, for example, for me, I realize eight hours of sleep is absolutely essential. So I have my alarm that I should sleep at ten thirty, get up at six thirty, and things like that. So I know several people who can sleep for five or four hours and be quite efficient. Yeah. So I would say that I don't think there is one answer. Seven billion people will have to find their own answers by doing their own experiments. They can't rely on my own experiment because I have experiment on myself and not on them. So whatever works for me may not work for them. And therefore, mm. I would say, figure out when you can experiment and find out, and don't get too uh, bogged down by what someone else has achieved. Uh, and, and people do get bogged down by a lot of other people that they admire and think that oh, I want to be like someone else. But uh, you can't uh, copy someone else because you are not that someone else. You have to be you, and uh, that I think is the hard part. Yeah. So apart from Wells Fargo, uh, when you look at other businesses, what do you think, what kind of processes are there and what kind of models are there that people are doing which you think might not work you know, in the long run? You know, I, I don't know what will work, what will not work because today's world is all about fast experimentation and fast failure. Okay. And I think there are lots of experiments happening all the time. Uh, and therefore, it's very hard for anyone to say or predict what will work or not work okay. because the contexts are so varied. Uh, so I would actually say that people should actually continue to uh, you know experiment, hmm. try out new ideas, but fail fast. Okay. Because you have limited time, limited resources, you can't continue with that for too long. Yeah. And something that didn't work in X company or X context might work in a Y context. Something that didn't work yesterday can work today. So many a times I think we also get bogged down by saying, oh, I was in that company and we tried it and didn't work. Hmm. Or by the way, we tried it last year, um, it didn't work. Yeah. To me, uh, it, it doesn't tell us anything because what didn't work, there may be some learning. Maybe you are ahead of your time. Maybe you did not do a few things which were relevant. Hmm. So I would say if it didn't work, what is the learning and the insight? How can you utilize that to either change it, pivot it, maybe do it again in a more effective fashion and so on and so forth. So I don't know whether there is uh, something that I can in a blanket say that this will never work because I think Probably everything can work mm. <laughs> given the right circumstances. Uh, what I meant to ask also is that, uh, you know, given that uh, we are living in the age of uh, fast-moving technologies, you know, social media, which is constantly distracting us, is there tunnel visioning happening across organizations? Maybe they're, you know, ignoring some factors which also should be included. Do you think that... Yeah. 
So I think, uh, I mean, you look at any field, like I said, every field has become very complex. Mm. So people have become specialized, super specialized, doctoral, post-doctoral and all of that. And yeah. they're all good things because you are getting into the depth of things, you are understanding it more, you yes. have better appreciation of all of that. Um, I think what tends to sometimes happen is uh, we start to pay a lot of premium to these new things where someone is super specialized, they know that really at the back of their hand. Mm. But when pushed to extreme, if there are too many specialists, and uh, there are no integrators, then you lose the essence of that specialization. I mean, take the human body and a doctor, you know, we have become, you know, so super specialized that someone just knows uh, probably how to operate your left kidney. Hmm. Now, you know, while it's great (laughs) if you have a problem there, but you need someone at a generalist level who can determine whether the issue is in the left kidney or in your, you know, (laughs) right arm and Mm. things like that. So I think that is happening in organizations and, you know, companies as well, where there are lots of people who are specialized. They have just done that thing for long, which is great because they have a good amount of understanding. But are we uh, connecting that with some people who have a broader perspective and only combining the two uh, can bring the best out of, uh, you know, what we want to achieve, in my opinion? Yeah. and with the advent of you know advent of so many technologies, uh, do you see that there will be like newer newer models of businesses which we cannot maybe perceive at this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that is absolutely true. I think if you look at the agile uh, you know revolution that is coming along, where people are saying that um, I don't know what this product is going to be and mm. I'm not going to deliver something two years down the line. I want to iterate and two-week sprints and four-week sprints and things of that nature. And we will look at the market and evolve. In fact, um, I also heard uh, the um, um, economic advisor, um, Sanjeev Sanyal, uh, who's, who's with the government, uh, talking about the same concept in the economy. And it was interesting uh, when I saw the connection. He said that uh, we used to have these uh, five-year plans where we would plan for the five mm. years and then you know execute those plans. And he said that uh, I don't know whether the five-year plan concept is still valid. Uh, I was reminded of the agile concept in our company. And he said, I think what we need to do is to launch and learn Mm. and iterate and learn from experiences. Uh, And he actually gave the example of uh, GST, which is a a bit of a controversial topic. But if you just abstract it out, saying, let's launch it. Let's see what the issues are. Let's take that feedback, improve it, and keep improving it like any other product. And hopefully you get a better product with each yeah. of those iterations versus sure. keep fine-tuning it and wait for the perfect product. So I do think that in uh, various uh, facets of uh, the society, people have realized that uh, we can't predict the future for all mm. the reasons that we spoke about. So the better thing would be to uh, predict it more closely, uh, do that, and then look at the feedback and pivot it if you have to and move on. Yeah. But then with with all of these things happening, what role can some technology like, for example, AI, because it's, I mean, there's a global arms race for AI. What impact can it have on, on these processes? So AI, you know, is an interesting thing. It's become a big buzzword these yeah. days uh, and everywhere a lot of talk is happening about it. But the, uh, the data is what is going to create AI. Hmm. So if you just look at the data economy and the regulation around it and so on and so forth, um, I think the world is getting um, segmented into how data will be made available and how you can process it. Because unless it is made available and you can process it, it's hard to do you know, any AI uh, you know, evolution and revolution and so on. So the way I am at least uh, looking at uh, the future, um, except for uh, China, where there's uh, unfettered usage of technology and data and, you know, experiments. I mean, uh, children in school are having uh, headsets and they are looking at their impulses and trying to predict their future behavior. Uh, Sounds almost, uh, you know, Orwellian. Um, Mm. I think the rest of the world, I think, is probably going in the other direction. Uh, The European Union came up with GDPR where they're putting severe restrictions on, uh, you know, how the data can be used because now data is being seen as a individual uh, sort of resource. You and I own our data and we decide to give it to people for whatever it is worth. And if no one has this unfettered uh, availability of data, it will be very hard for them to, you know, program these things. So um, I could choose to say my data cannot be used in any AI model to adjudicate credit decisioning for me, for example. But it's already happening, right? Companies are constantly collecting data, especially in a country like India, without the awareness of the users. So as these uh, regulations come into being, and I don't know whether you are following, but Indian uh, data protection law is also, you know, coming into the parliament. 
and uh, you know on the one hand it is giving a, a lot of uh, unfettered access but to the as government as you mentioned the orwellian thing yeah. the government can yeah. still government do what do they what do they want uh, but let's say if we stick to the private sector hmm. which is the visible part of it because yeah. what the government does some of us don't know till things we, happen we can't have control over that yeah uh, and and there'll be debates happening but i think the point i'm making is that the data availability will probably get severely restricted okay and therefore i think it will uh, be against the evolution of ai as a technology okay. which is frankly to me if you ask me not a bad thing mm. because if i have to choose a gdpr uh, oriented europe versus a unrestricted uh, you know china mm. Mm, i would choose the former yeah. but again different people have different choices and i just highlighted the blacks and the white the gray is that you know i am willing to give this information to you uh, for some convenience i'm happy to tell you my you know uh, pattern so that you can deliver my grocery on time and things of that nature so i think uh, there'll be lots of such uses that people will use and ai will evolve as it should but it will not be as unrestricted as many people believed it to be so people will have to come up with new models i mean i do see that if you look at all the um, outrage against fake news outrage against a lot of big tech companies collecting a lot of data without our knowledge or you know having those uh, i agree clauses that no one reads and utilizing them in varying ways uh, that backlash i think is going to uh, push against a lot of things that people believe is going to happen in the ai field at least in the democratic world that uh, we see mm-hmm. but uh, talking about privacy again do you think that the majority of indian population cares about privacy i mean i don't know i mean from my perspective it seems that people in india don't care much about privacy and why is it that the european population is more concerned and maybe not the indian uh you know yeah i think it uh, probably uh, we can <laughs> go back to maslow's hierarchy when you are worried about uh, roti kapda or makan yeah. you don't care yeah. i mean if you ask my date of birth and uh, give me a small house and if i am homeless i don't care what am mm. i going to lose yeah. so i think uh, the privacy is all about someone losing something right yes. you know why why would you worry about privacy you can lose your identity you can lose your money you can lose your you know privacy mm. or whatever right yeah. but there are so many people in the world who have nothing to lose yes so for them privacy doesn't matter uh, so i i do think that the world is very very segregated and different segments of those uh, population uh, might have varying needs of that privacy so i would say that the privacy is a uh, developed world phenomena when your tummy is full yes uh, can you start imagining some of those other thing but if it is uh, empty uh, then you don't care <laughs> yeah but are you you talk, you touched upon you know financial privacy so are we going into this era where the government knows each and every rupee of you know the citizens they're tracking it constantly so that there is no tax evasion or something like that so do you see that there'll be no financial privacy in coming in which is obviously good in a way because everyone would be paying the taxes or taxes will be automatically deducted what do you, what do you think is going to happen i think as we all know that um, every technology and every mm. thing can be used for good yes. or for bad so as long as i have faith in my government and i believe that this government is really working for me yeah then i don't think uh, you know i have any problem Yeah. but we all know that this government is a very amorphous animal with mm. so many uh, departments so many vested powers with different needs yeah. uh, and if someone uh, tries to utilize the data f- to harm me mm. then i'm worried and people right now clearly don't have trust in uh, institutions uh, trust in each other yeah. so in general uh, the overall uh, level of trust uh, in yeah. today's day and age is uh, reducing and whatever someone does is uh, seen with a negative lens because the belief is that you're trying to going to, going to harm me because you did that yeah. now which may or may not be the case but i think that's the fact today that uh, since the trust is low uh, any action will be seen with that lens and there is a probably a reason uh, mm. that trust is low because uh, many people have been fooled or their uh, their yeah. uh, you know interest have not been kept in mind uh, so i think obviously there's a need for folks who uh, believe uh, that they should be trusted need to demonstrate yeah. uh, that they can indeed be trusted <laughs> the same thing you, t- you t- touched upon again you know something which is uh, trust as you said uh, is very important and so there is kind of a thing happening a trend especially in the blockchain world where people are or technologists are moving for, from centralized trust to decentralized trust you know or from centralized money in fact to decentralized money or centralized applications to decentralize this you know especially i think it has a huge impact on the finance industry as well do you see that this 
technology, blockchain, which is powering these decentralized applications and even decentralized money, for example, Bitcoin, Ethereum, do you, take, do you think that has some value? Yeah. So I think uh, absolutely great question that <laughs> blockchain is the one which is supposed to create trust. So it is a technology which, mm. uh, which can allow you to create trust. But if you start uh, looking at use cases and look at the impact uh, that use case has on uh, several constituents, mm. uh, then the answers will vary. So for yeah. example, um, if you uh, told me that uh, we will uh, digitize all these land records and there'll be a blockchain method for everyone to know yeah. who owns your land and yeah. property disputes will go away, people will not do this. I think a lot more people will be happy with that. Uh, mm. and, and, you know, many of these records that we have, uh, there's a central authority which is pushing, putting their ISI mark or your college is giving you a degree and some of those types of things. And there's a lot of forgery and those types of things happening. So I think in many of those situations, a lot of people might believe that there is no harm in doing some of those things. Mm. Let's take the other example of currency. Uh, currency, I think it is just uh, plainly impossible that ever uh, we will have uh, Bitcoin. Uh, because currency is central to the economic system of yeah. any government. But uh, like kind of like gold, which I mean, the value in terms of fiat keeps changing, but still something that people trust, which is decentralized. Let's say if a currency collapses, but people run towards, you know, gold or silver. So do you think in a similar way, can, can it happen? The reason I said it is impossible is that still the government controls the economy. Okay. The monetary policy, the use of currency is a tool that the government uses to drive the economy. Sure. So if you take that lever away from the government, they can't uh, you know, run the country and they mm. can't run the economy. Sure. So no government will ever allow a unfettered currency of this nature. Mm. And f- frankly, you know, some of these technologies have not been tested. Yeah. They seem to be uh, promising yeah. what they are promising. But who knows? What if there is a black swan event sitting yeah. there? Who wants to take that risk and so on and so yeah. forth? So I don't think in sensitive areas like currency, which is the... Uh, source of uh, you know leverage for an economic system uh, people will try it or maybe they will try it much 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 later uh, till it gets proven in some of the simpler use cases which are reducing friction from our uh, daily lives and making life more efficient mm. uh, currency gets into a different philosophical uh, arena which i think uh, yeah. uh, will probably not happen it can remain an asset class like any others yeah. and, and 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 maybe over time one will have to see how that plays out but i doubt any government will allow a fiat uh, money to be controlled by a group of individuals and they don't have any control I mean, on I it. I mean, it's not controlled by anyone, right? That's the point. But the government wants control. Yeah, exactly. The government wants to reduce interest rates, print yeah. money when they want to sure. and things of that nature. Sure. So the government actually wants a lot of control on the money. Mm. They want to demonetize sometimes. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the government aspect of it, I mean, there's always a controversy whenever uh, the government tries to implement something in India, especially it's such a large scale, being India being such a large country. You mentioned GST, for example, and Aadhaar. Uh, you know, uh, with the Indian stack thing, you know, there's always this controversy. But what do you? What are the different aspects you see? You know, the benefits or the uh, controversies about it that you that you feel? Yeah, at a very uh, macro level, uh, in fact, uh, a lot of people when they ask me about uh, careers and you know what we should do and what we can do, uh, my um, uh, you know belief has been that. Uh, India as a country has not been able to uh, develop its uh, infrastructure, which China has done a great job. So China developed their physical infrastructure and became a great Asian uh, tiger, elephant, you know, every animal rolled into one and, you know, leaps and bound growth uh, happened. Uh, I think India obviously has not been able to play that game and I doubt it will be ever able to play that game. So my belief is that given that we are now getting into a more of a digital world, uh, cognitive world for that, uh, the roads and highways and the ports are important. I, I'm sorry to pause you. You said India won't be able to do it. Yes. It will never why, be why able to. Why do you think that is? Oh, we are so chaotic and, mm. uh, you know, it takes a lot of time to put up physical infrastructure. I mean, I think the roads in Bangalore are a good example uh, that, you know, you can see why we can't do certain things. Mm. Uh, but I think I'm trying to argue that uh, some of it may not actually be as important. Okay. Uh, what I'm trying to argue is that I think the digital world is the future world. Okay. And if you believe that the digital world is the future world, uh, my belief is that the highways that we are going to create yeah. will be digital highways and not physical highways. So the next 20 years will be a digital highway creation and the uh, chaiwala on that highway will be the startup uh, that you can set up because mm. you have the infrastructure there. So I think that uh, this India stack is a infrastructure or a platform which will not just uh, create the highways 
but will also create the McDonald on the highway and many other enabling functions on the highway, uh, which will allow a lot of uh, you know people to come over there, uh, set up their companies, provide services, and so on. Uh, so, and the reason I say that is that you know if you look at uh, consumption patterns in the society, mm. in the past it was all material goods. We were consuming material goods, which led to the manufacturing revolution, and now we are consuming uh, you know cognitive goods, uh, experiences. Uh, services seem to be the biggest uh, part of a uh, economy uh, it's not uh, you know material goods anymore so if more and more people become uh, what should i say um, uh, focused on consuming services assuming that you know we will have let's say universal basic mm. income uh, basic needs are satisfied so the needs of the individuals might be uh, satisfied more by digital highways than physical highways now i should not say that we should not make roads i still had a tough time coming to your office today <laughs> we should try that but yeah. i do think that if we bypass that and mm. went to the digital highway which we have a i would say a strength in as a country um, because we have a lot of people who have interest in technology uh, playing around and doing new things so i think we can unleash uh, you know our gdp and our people's creative potential Uh, through this uh, digital platform digital highway that i said and to me india stack really is a unique uh, platform uh, that has been created the world over and i would think that in the next uh, 20 years you know many things change in this country uh, it will really allow us to leapfrog and do a lot of mm. things which many others can't so you're saying this software and applications can actually lead to a way for the physical world to transform it as well yes, right yes, yes yes can you can you share an example you have in mind which yeah, you have seen yeah, in the last yeah, few yeah. years you know i mean i mean you just look at uh, um, uh, look at the fintechs i mean yeah. i'm and you and i are all familiar with these fintechs uh, now there have been some issues related to aadhar being mandatory and all of that hmm. but the kyc and some of those things which used to take so much effort and time in the past yes. uh, today you were able to do it in minutes yeah so i'm saying that if you are able to reduce friction in some of these things that some of us are consuming uh, you are just creating more uh, more room to uh, do a lot more things versus putting effort in uh, you know doing things which actually could not uh, not need to be done and i think uh, there are so many uh, other uh, uses which will come up i mean you are seeing uh, upi is a great example i think the payment revolution the way it has happened in india is again unprecedented hasn't happened anywhere else the number of people using digital payment uh, by the way uh, for the last 2 uh, months uh, i have not been carrying my physical wallet right mm. now i don't have my physical wallet in so my pocket so it's just a new experiment that you're trying right just yeah, to see yeah and i i'm i'm hoping that i don't need to because uh, i don't um, drive a car anymore yeah. i used to take uber or something else and anyway my driving license picture is in my phone uh, and anything yeah. that i need is all in my phone yeah. and i use pay paytm wallet so i have no cash and no other things um, i don't need a physical yeah. wallet so i think many such things are happening thanks to this uh, digital platform coming along the government is digitizing a lot they are spending a lot of yes. money um, they are uh, believed to be uh, digitizing everything that you know we can get government services information on the fly and so on and so forth so i do think that this will be quite uh, transformational for the country but it will take a while like uh, many other things in our country there are many voices and all of those voices need to be included because many a times you tend to go in one extreme uh, but overall i think directionally all these technologies if used well uh, will really transform this country yeah uh and you mentioned you know uh, that there could be you know the impact of technology and you know the coming of uh, social media has really impacted uh our culture even you know the kind of jobs we have today as a gamer you can make millions of dollars you know as a social media influencer you can make a lot of money what kind of new jobs do you see you know coming out of these kind of uh, you know app economies yeah so like i said i don't know because you know 5 years ago i would not have said uh, youtuber could be a job yeah my daughter told me that that's a job i said okay so i don't think any of us can predict Uh, what those jobs will be mm. uh, they will come from somewhere and they kind will of like black swans but in yeah, a positive yeah, way i mean look at tiktok yeah could have anyone have predicted a tiktok yeah hard to say so i i do think that people are very creative uh, they will come up with the uh, millions of new ideas mm. and in fact the 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 concept of job i think itself will get uh, reclassified mm. because today we think what is a job oh i am an engineer i am a doctor i am a strategy guy i am what I don't know whether those taxonomies will survive. Okay. What do you call, call a YouTuber? It's a YouTuber. Yeah. So I think newer terms will come into being which we haven't heard before and those job descriptions do not exist 
yeah. and we can't even comprehend and predict so i don't think there's any point at least in my opinion yeah. to even predict what those jobs will be okay. uh, i think you have to be ready to be creative try out things that make sense uh, things that create value uh, socially or materially in some way yeah so uh, you know if you're saying that the whole definition of jobs is going to get redefined then what about the education part do will people need to spend 20 years of their lives you know earning degrees and these pieces of papers that define them yeah i think the uh, 20 years that um, people are spending in education uh, in my personal opinion uh, is a complete waste uh, and the reason i say that is uh, you have to look at why this education system came into being my guess is it came into being to uh, uh, sort of uh, feed the industrial revolution okay so when yeah. you needed workers in the factory the factories require standard input standard output the standard output were provided by the education system now the factories are all gone but the education system has still survived okay. in fact continues to thrive uh, so i do think that uh, in today's day and age you don't need most of the things that are being taught over there um, in fact we have always said that uh, life skills and many other things that anyway not being taught and today more than ever before you don't have to go through 20 years of that uh, rigmarole uh, to do what you need to do uh, life expectancy is longer you can probably start to work much earlier and things of that nature so i do think that this will also get uh, reinvented i mean some of the green shoots that you see uh, i believe and i have not read it myself but i think uh, some of the tech giants are saying that uh, uh, we are looking at folks uh, who are i mean they have they have those platforms so pe- they can see the activity of people on those platforms and they can figure out who are the smart kids and they can pick them up so if these platform become more and more uh, you know common uh, what you do your digital footprint is measurable and uh, you know uh, is uh, transparent to a lot of people and based on that decisions can be taken mm. because the education system what it used to do was one of course it gave you some skills and some knowledge but it also gave you a degree yeah. and a and, and a satisfaction to a prospective employer that you are good but today that validation can come through other mediums you could be other pe- you could be doing something and people are rating you hmm. you know the uber driver okay. uh, gets a value based on but ratings. doesn't that open a whole new pandora's box yeah so that that i think depends on what you want to do okay and i think in certain areas where you are selling a certain skill you actually want i mean sharukh khan wants more views hmm. he doesn't want to hide behind a yeah. privacy wall yeah. so i think it depends on what business you are in and what you want out of it so i think people will choose to uh, open up parts of their skill sets and open to validation and if you have more validation just like a star or a film star so i think the best way to describe any of the future professional would be uh, you know even today i mean doctors or lawyers get rated formally yeah. informally so i think in future as a so person personal branding could be one thing I which think so. I people think so. will have to work on i think on. people will have to individually create their own personal brand and i think even if they don't want to create it will get created because they will all have a digital footprint whatever they do will be there somewhere now they can choose to hide it but if it is available people will make sense out of some of those things yeah. so i think the whole measurement of uh, the education system of test and grade and all of that can potentially be replaced by what you actually do how you actually make an impact and how people actually rate and rank you and all of that information can be utilized to judge you hmm if education and uh, job roles are getting redefined what about money do you think like as you mentioned universal basic income you know but they also say there's no free lunch right so if you're giving people free money what impact could it have on the global economy yeah you know money or you know some m- money is really a measure of exchange to allow people to uh, exchange things earlier they were you know bartering saying you give yeah. me a cow i'll give you a goat uh, it was hard uh, so i think money does serve the purpose of allowing uh, exchange of people uh, across geographies across periods of time across different you know activities and so on so i think money does serve that purpose so i don't think uh, money or anything that goes by the name of money uh, is going to go away anywhere because it fuels you know our economy it promotes uh, and you know fulfills a certain purpose so i don't think um, anyone would believe that you don't need money hmm. now there is a lot of debate around capitalism and free market and some of those things and uh, very interestingly this morning uh, i don't know who was telling me uh, that uh, capitalism is the enemy of free market what okay uh, why is capitalism the enemy of free market and he said free market is all about you know people having freedom and everyone yeah. is equal and they should yeah. do anything and he say if you na- look at the nature of capitalism uh, there is a capitalist and the capitalist only interest is in creating a monopoly 
Oh. And monopoly is the enemy of free market. So he said that you know that's the way to look at it. So it's interesting, you know. So that's so I think there are many many debates on many things happening. Um, I think most people will believe that. Uh, Uh, and probably true that uh, but doesn't monopoly lead to good competition good efficiency where people want to do their best to get create a monopoly never never uh, no never and the reason for that is that if you are a monopoly there is no choice mm. and i think uh, all human beings love choice yeah and uh, having just one choice as long as it is black yeah uh, doesn't satisfy anyone yeah at the same time if you look at any platform or any uh, any uh, businessman uh by definition they may say or they may not say it you want to be a you know bigger market share and bigger market share finally 100% market yeah. share is equal to a monopoly yes. so therefore the goal of a capitalist or capitalism is to actually create monopolies which is the enemy of free markets yes yes but there there is like it's contradictory it's like paradox like right i mean capitalism is giving you the freedom to do your best and create the best business models right but the same time it is leading to monopoly but then what is the solution I think, like everything else, you know, there has to be a upper cap to everything. There's no, uh, you know, uncapped. It's like mm. you know when people say that what should be the salary of a CEO, uh, what should be the highest tax rate, yeah, and things of that nature. Now, in general, you could say that you know the higher the income, the higher the tax rate. But beyond a point, it might be counterproductive and things like that. So I think everything has to be some kind of a bound and upper limit. unfettered anything hmm. can always be bad so like sure. i said capitalism as a concept is not bad but where is the boundary and that boundary has to be determined through market forces maybe through regulations through self uh, you know enforcement or whatever uh, so whenever those things fail is when i think we get into trouble but technology is eventually you know creating these platforms huge platforms right we're talking about like platforms which can influence and have power over all of us right whether we talk about social media even cloud infrastructure all of these companies are trying i mean we are seeing the you know rise of platforms but mon- monopolization is happening uh, so what what do you think about that how can technology then help so you're saying there should be an upper limit yeah i think uh, i was talking to a friend of mine who's been in the us now for 20 25 years he's a professor and he studies some of these things and i was talking to him last week and uh, you know i was asking him about the same question that you asked me and he said and he actually travels to china a lot as well so he has a good view of the world he travels mm. to a lot of countries including africa okay uh, so he was telling me that in his belief the way uh, some of these social media platforms have come into being um, it can potentially and it is potentially um, allowing uh, you know a lot of propaganda and uh, making people believe a certain viewpoint mm. uh, much faster than what could have been done in the past yeah i think none of the thing that are happening today are new Uh, propaganda was there in uh, you know every day and age i mean we keep hearing about uh, nazi germany and goebel and many other people and we have examples of that uh, and propaganda has always existed i mean there is there is uh, there is a lot of evidence of that but i think today uh, with all these digital devices with micro targeting with uh, so many uh, strong opinions it is very easy to reinforce what your opinion is yes uh, so i think uh, the the trouble in today's technology and ai and many of that is that it actually reinforces what you want uh, so the one of the reasons i kind of stay away from some of these thing is that i want to have some more free thought and ideas of my own yeah. uh, i don't want uh, an algorithm to tell me what i should buy what i should do what my next idea should be uh, once in a while i can check with them and see what they have to say mm. but in general i don't need to check with them but that's me yeah uh, but there are some other people who are becoming uh, what should i say um too much uh, dependent on what uh, that technology is telling them uh, and a lot of people if they become that then you have an army of people who are just following a certain algorithm without realizing it uh living in a very uh, you know uh, i don't know what animal farm like world or whatever mm. it is uh, and they won't even know that uh, they are living that yeah, life yeah. and that's i think the scary part <laughs> yeah uh you also mentioned you know black swan you touched upon black swan is with so much chaos you know happening in the world i mean which is obviously can be positive can be negative but uh, are we probably leading to a black swan you, you know there is like this deglobalization happening people are becoming more protective of their economies of their technologies what do you think uh, is eventually you know? yeah 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 i think that's uh, that's clear i think um, uh, me and my generation and i kind of uh, you know graduated from uh, engineering college in 91 mm-hmm. is when the country saw liberalization yes. so i think i would say that my generation uh, saw the fruits of globalization yes. because when you globalize uh, people trade more 
benefit from each other any trade sort of leads to a win win as what yes, the economic yes. principles sell uh, you know um, i'm a i'm a product of benefiting from that but i think when you look back uh, you know maybe it will be 30 years since uh, that event happened um, i think uh, not all the benefits of that globalization has uh, Uh, gone down to everyone and mm. this was just about india but if you look at globalization from the perspective of the us and you look at that same maybe 30 year period um, there are so many people who are not uh, you know uh, getting what they want there were factories that closed down uh, those factory workers are now working in mcdonalds for 10 dollars an hour and things of that nature so a lot of people and some estimates say that maybe 60 million of the 360 million um, americans 20% mm. of the population is probably much more worse off um, than they were 30 40 years ago so if there is a system which is creating that level of inequality people will start to lose trust in that yes. which is what i think is happening globally hmm. that uh, while the capitalist system is expected to broaden the pie which is the argument for capitalism that if you have socialism no one has an incentive great now you have capitalism people have incentive so you broaden the pie you create new opportunities the question is if you create all of those opportunities what about the sharing of the fruits of those opportunities if they remain concentrated in the hands mm. of uh, billionaires and don't trickle down or maybe trickle down when they decide to do philanthropy yeah it may or may not be the world that a lot of people would like to live in and which is what i think is uh, leading to uh, this whole deglobalization uh, because the politicians are now capitalizing on that to say you know what whatever happened some of these people have become rich and they haven't given you what you wanted we will change that the best way to change that is we will first stop all of these immigrants from coming in all of these free trade to happen because some people are dumping in our country and this that and the other so i think this trend is likely to be the next uh, generational trend uh, for times to come uh, till someone figures out that uh, either <laughs> either it works or this doesn't work either yeah. <laughs> because there are loopholes in this argument as well so i think uh, definitely deglobalization will remain for the next couple of decades is it also because uh, you know as you mentioned the global the economic expansion of the global economy obviously benefited a lot of people so now we may see a contraction now with so much money generated and obviously accumulated by a few individuals with the contraction it could obviously lead to bad effects but we are at a convergence where you know there's also technology there and then there is also this probably you know this deglobalization as you mentioned that's actually a very good question and i have to tell you um, i haven't thought very deeply about it because i do see some trends of uh, uh, aging population in a lot of countries mm. especially japan yes. korea uh, we see negative interest rates happening which yes. were not uh, taught in our economic yes. textbooks um, uh, and and you know slowing down of global growth rates in the recent past so um, you know if you were to look at uh, the last 30 years the average growth rate of the world has been x now your question is will it go down for the next 20 30 years because of deglobalization or not i don't know and actually it's a good question for me to go back and think about i haven't really thought about it so i am taking back this question with me today <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank i mean i uh, i'm happy that i could contribute uh, to that to your yeah. thoughts uh you you say a lot that you know it's difficult to predict it's difficult to predict it's actually not useful to predict but then everyone who's collecting data and creating these analytical models are trying to predict So what's happening there? Like, if you yeah. can't predict with so much of variables and chaos, and what's the point? So it depends on uh, what is the purpose that you are trying to serve. Yeah. So I'll give you my personal example. When I started working, I was in the finance mm. uh, industry, uh, and in those days, I mean, news was scarce, and when once you are in finance. Uh, news and information actually translated into money if you knew something about a company or a stock or something else yeah. or trend in a commodity you could profit from it or you could have your clients profit from it yeah so so information and news was money so one would uh, and i i was that we would uh, talk to a lot of people read lots of report and uh, learn so many things uh, because the purpose was it would translate into something that you wanted yes fast forward to today i am in the exact uh, opposite mode Uh, I call it the JOMO mode, joy of missing out. Okay. I It's not the fear of missing out. No. So I don't read the newspaper. I don't watch TV. Um, I don't even read uh, books very often. I read a few articles. I read a few WhatsApp where uh, everyone is sharing something. Then I say it must be important. So mm-hmm. Nadal is one. Good. Okay. If I didn't know, that's fine as well. So I think for me uh, that uh, whole purpose is that I don't need to know all of these things. Mm. If it is important to me. it will come to me through a conversation 
maybe through a multiple forwarded whatsapp or some other way and frankly if i didn't find out so be it my my life goes on so i think uh, i have developed my own mechanism to say what i need when i need why i need and i think everyone will have to figure out there are still a lot of people in the old mode of uh, just holding uh, holding information trying to think that it is important mm-hmm. while it may or may not be important so i think everyone has to determine if the world has changed and are they still uh, you know dealing in the habits of the past or they need to develop new habits yeah and i can't tell what works for whom yeah so you know with so much happening uh, you know our audience you know loves to know what are the different new tools and technologies they should learn to keep up with the pace of innovation you know and find jobs like yourself uh and you know to grow their careers what advice would you then you said that education may actually be not as useful you know you don't have to follow the same model you just so what would you be your advice then to youngsters to people who are learning you know i can the the last advice uh, on this topic was uh, given to my daughter 2 years ago when she was going to college and uh, my wife had asked me to give this advice like you said what should she study which tool which yeah. which course and all of that and uh, my advice was a 3c framework okay which uh, mbas are bound to create frameworks and the 3c's really were based on uh, economic principles because she was going to study economics and i said that uh, globalization is going to lead to deglobalization and uh, what will be in short supply in the deglobalization world will be uh, compassion mm. which is knowing about others and feeling about others because people will be selfish so that is the first c okay uh, so these are the three c's which i think will be in short supply and if you acquire things which are in short supply as a contrarian hedge fund manager <laughs> you should win in the long run yeah so the first c was compassion the second c was related to the choices that we spoke about and therefore the c that is in short supply is conviction belief in yourself take a decision live with it for a while stay with it uh, learn from it move on versus be mindlessly moving from one to the other and uh, suffer from mental illness mm. the third one was the linear work giving rise to non linear work so the third c which is in short supply i think is creativity okay so i think compassion conviction and creativity is the advice that i gave her which i checked uh, one year later and she had forgotten and i said uh, i need to create a version 2 of the framework because th- this doesn't seem to work mm. so i added two c's one at the beginning at the end the first one was <laughs> curiosity that unless you are curious nothing else will happen sure and in the end you have to be communicative that unless you talk and communicate you will not fuel your curiosity so to me if you were to ask for the advice these are the five c's version 2 which is uh, curiosity uh, compassion conviction creativity and communication and if uh, one follows these habits and these beliefs i think they should be good yeah but then you know these skills are difficult to measure and difficult to quantify which can lead you know to monetize them and first question my i mean in this context is how does one learn these things you know in the age of constant distraction second is how does these skills lead to you monetizing them yeah i think uh, you know we have all seen that uh, monetization has come from sources that people had not imagined okay i don't think the founders of google when they developed the search engine hmm. uh, knew that it will become a trillion dollar company 10 years down the line okay so my view is that if you focus on something that you are passionate about it is your conviction your creativity and you are creating something of value monetization will come so i i don't think that people should focus on monetization they should focus on the problem that are out there which they can convince themselves to solve if they are solving it well hmm. monetization will follow so i do think that the reason uh, you said that it is hard to monetize is exactly the reason it has to be learned because you have to unlearn all that you have learned so far because you are so focused on monetization backward and i am saying monetization the outcome and not uh, something that you should pursue so it's almost like the gita you follow the karma the outcome will happen yeah I mean, that's very philosophical, and I mean, lot lot of people probably are ignoring these skills. Maybe, um, what about the technology skills? Or do you think it's all going to be probably automated? Do you think that there is tremendous value there also? Yeah, you know. So I think when I when I talk about um, creativity and conviction and all of that, I think technology is included in that. So okay. I think to make it real, if today you are one of those uh, you know IT program managers, and if you are trying to learn python and some of those things that's good i mean there's nothing wrong in it people yeah. say oh should i learn python so i think you can learn anything and you should mm-hmm. learn anything but i think you have to go broader than that to say what will you do with it yeah. so i think today a lot of focus is on tools and technologies without realizing why you need it 
and that purpose i think is the one which i think people have to focus more and more on uh, in fact there's a famous uh, person uh, daniel pink who once said that uh, humans get motivated by purpose autonomy and mastery so unless you have the purpose you know uh, then if you have the autonomy and then you become the master people are trying to do mastery before knowing the purpose hmm. and that is where the problem is so you can be a python expert but why you don't know then there's a problem because yeah. python would give rise to something else python is a mechanism to solving certain problems which might arise in future but if you don't know what you are trying to solve and why you are trying to solve there's a problem and going back to the education system our education system has rewarded people answering questions my new education system will say here's a 3 hours math paper there are no questions tell me which are the question that maths can solve oh. and i don't think we okay. have trained people to figure out what are the questions worth solving so i think solution orientation is good okay but i think we need to develop the orientation of what is worth solving what's worth my time and i don't think we are giving the skills to people so you're saying asking the right questions before solving them yes okay and also even determining uh, you know what are the bigger problem the bigger question and so on and so forth and that's a skill in itself because if you're not thinking about it you're not testing it you're not developing that skill well enough and mm. we have focused so much on just giving them many question and uh, developing their solutioning skills which is good but i think uh, ai will automate many of those things and therefore yeah. that skill might become commoditized but asking the right question can never be commoditized because that is the creative part of it on what is it that you may need what is it that others may need and that i don't think anyone can predict okay so what about the ethics part you know especially the corporate ethics i mean if you i mean most of the biggest the biggest you know investment banks have been involved in some of the other scandal which have obviously uh, shown one thing that companies don't care about ethics i think money is obviously the priority and how does that fit into the all of this i think you know like i said uh, trust uh, is something which is going down and it is not going down because of any other reason but that many people who were trusted with doing something have not done their job hmm. it's not just the banks or the large companies it's the politicians it's you and me your yeah. neighbor so i think uh, it's a societal phenomena while it gets uh, manifested and highlighted by some large companies because they are easy to see uh, i think the root cause i think is in our society among ourselves in how we raise our children how we behave on a day to day mm. basis i don't think someone suddenly becomes a non ethical person one fine day sure i think it takes a long while for the society to produce uh, individuals of that nature so i think it's it's much more deeper than that it's easier to say you put uh, people in jail yeah. us has the highest rate of incarceration yes. scandals are not going down so i think the root cause is somewhere else and we are sometimes solving uh, you know putting bandaid and solving superficial uh, symptoms yeah you also say that you know you're a contrarian fund manager you say that yeah you did say that so what are what are the what are the biggest trends that are hidden from the public eye that if you would like to tell that you know which are just you know unfolding like i said i i i i'm not a futurist i don't make prediction i do make some uh, some uh, you know what should i say uh, theories and ideas mm. i mean like these 3c 5c types of frameworks and then stay with them to see whether uh, they are playing out the way okay. i had imagined and then modify that just like that 3t got 3c got modified to 5 so so continuously maybe 3 to 5 years later you bring me here and talk to me i might have a 4s framework for all mm. you know or something else i don't know so i'm continuously learning experimenting devising my theories and evolving them uh, so that uh, not only can i uh, you know uh, uh, explain how i operate and what i do but can also share with others what my learnings are and today the these frameworks are really allowing you to you know uh, focus your attention on explaining mm. uh, what things are sure. so that you don't get uh, you know misguided <laughs> you also mentioned obviously the problems of the world and one of the biggest problems obviously is poverty and uh, we discussed that you know universal basic income may be helpful in that regard but do you think also that the technology can actually help you know trickle down the benefits of the global economy to the poorest popula- population say in africa which is just at the verge of you know development sure so i think uh, uh, in general uh, uh, the government or the public sector hmm. has been expected to solve some of these problems and the private sector has uh, never been incentivized to solve the problem okay. so if you look at the private sector they are not seemingly solving social problems mm. uh, they are solving the problem of giving you the next best purchase okay. or some other entertainment or netflix or whatever i mean look at the uh, big value creators in today's economy none of them are uh, socially impacting companies they yeah. are just uh, playing at the fringes uh, of the material world in my opinion so to me 
how do we or go? like kind of like they are just giving you free service and the uh, you have to give them your data is yeah, it yeah yeah that's true and like i said i mean they are not uh, solving real big social problems so mm. if i were to say uh, the same uh, maths paper example to someone saying what are the biggest uh, problems uh, facing this world yeah i don't think any of those companies will figure out in the list of solutions that they are solving the biggest problems facing the world so clearly the focus the the talent the resources the money everything of our uh, planet is being focused on things that are actually not the biggest priority for the planet so that's what our you know economic and social system has done that it is focusing on our talent and money on things that are at the fringes how do we redesign this system which actually focuses all that effort and energy on solving those problems of clean water hunger disease uh, in africa and elsewhere uh, easier said than done uh, but uh, since you are asking this uh, sort of open ended uh, philosophical question and future trends uh, it's not a trend but this is something that i would hope that if we were to uh, you know redesign and repurpose the world uh, can we reorient it in the way that uh, everyone is focused on solving the biggest problems uh, versus uh, very few people uh, you know focusing on them right now yeah i think uh, we touched upon some really good topics and i think i loved your perspective on it uh, Thank you so much for your time. You know, I really appreciate you coming here, sharing these things because, you know, I think uh, more people obviously need to know about this. Uh, again, thanks a lot. Pleasure having you here. Thanks, Vishal. Lovely. I mean, all of these conversations allow me to also think again, think more deeply, and also yeah. take back a lot of questions for me to continue to think about it. So, thanks for the opportunity. Thank Bye-bye. you.